from Wondery. I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. We've spent the last three weeks covering a soda rivalry so intense it fizzed over on more than one occasion. Now we're bringing our series on Coke versus Pepsi to a close. In a minute, you'll hear an interview that's going to wrap it up nicely with a few stories about the soda giants that didn't quite make it into our final episodes. But first, let's take a trip to the mid-1960s. The Civil Rights Act has been signed into law. Vietnam protests are just heating up. Beatlemania is in full swing. And just as the Pepsi generation ads really started to make Coca-Cola sweat, another underdog took its first steps to becoming a major competitor in a very different industry, air travel. Next week, we'll dive into how one visionary turned Southwest Airlines from a failed charter service to the most affordable choice for flying and forced its most established competitor to make changes so it could keep up. That's right, Flying Your Way Tuesday, our next historic rivalry, Southwest versus American Airlines. We thank you for choosing Business Wars on your podcast journey, and we hope you'll join us again for our next series. And if there's another industry feud you want us to cover, let us know on the I Have an Idea page at Wondery.com. First, a behind-the-scenes look at the bubbling rivalry between Coke and Pepsi. Tristan Donovan is an author and journalist based in the UK. He's written about everything from video games to, you guessed it, the soda industry. His book, Fizz, How Soda Shook Up the World, is the basis for this series. And his most recent book dives into the history of board games, from Monopoly to Settlers of Catan. He's also no stranger to business wars. He's the man behind the Nintendo vs. Sony series you heard back in May. Tristan Donovan, welcome to Business Wars. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S., and Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. This is Business Wars from Wondery. I'm David Brown, and we're talking to the author of our story on Coke versus Pepsi, Tristan Donovan. So good to finally hear your voice after reading your scripts. You've just done a masterful job with this. How did you get interested in Coke versus Pepsi to begin with, Tristan? 
Um, well, it's one of those things of... I, I'm a non-fiction author, so I wrote a book um, back in 2013 about the history of fizzy drinks, and it really came out of... I was looking for a new book to do, and I was in the car, had a can of Coke with me, and I got wondering, Coca, why is it so ubiquitous? Why, why is it everywhere? You know, it's, it's really sort of brown sort of sugar water, really. Um, so why is it so big? And so I started reading a bit of the history behind the drink, and it was just full of these insane business stories. And the further I <laughs> d- dug into it, the crazier it seemed to get. So it was like, this, this has definitely got to be a book. So that, that's where it started, really. Was there a character? I mean, there are so many very, I mean, vivid characters in this tale of Coke versus Pepsi, and it continues, I mean, into the present. Is there somebody who stands out to you as a particularly compelling um, character here? For me, it was uh, uh, it was uh, Pemberton who came up with the original drink and didn't seem to be a, a very good business person. Yes. Yeah. I, I think for me, Charles Goof, um, the guy who resurrected Pepsi in the 30s, uh, he was such a fascinating character, sort of this sort uh-huh. of das- dastardly kind of businessman. But he was such a fascinating kind of person that, you know, just is so devious. <laughs> I mean, he's a perfect character. He's like some move- Hollywood movie kind of baron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, he resurrected the brand. And uh, I'm just wondering why, given, and we talked about this in the course of trying to understand, you know, the competition that Coke faced at the turn of the century. Why was it that Pepsi emerged as a leader among all the imitators that came out in those early days? Well, it, it survived for two reasons. So Coca had so many imitators it was trying to get rid of and sue out of existence um, that it couldn't get round mm-hmm. to them all. Um, so Pepsi was one of the ones that got away. So there was no sort of legal case against them. And they'd been established for so long by the 30s, even though they'd gone bust a couple of times, that it was very hard for Coca to go, oh, well, they're just copying us because it's been, you know, kind of 30-odd years of Pepsi being around. So there was that. And then the real genius moment is when Charles Goof came up with the idea of twice as much for a nickel. Um, And it's the Great Depression. And you've got this kind of great, we're going to give you twice as much cola for the same price as Coca-Cola. And that was really the breakthrough moment because before then, Pepsi was just, oh, it's an alternative to Coca-Cola, but it doesn't have any identity. It's just one of many hundreds of copycat colas. So uh, as you look back and you think about the lessons of this particular back and forth, what do you think it is? I mean, do you think that both sides played this about as well as it can possibly be played? Or do you think that there is a clear winner here in the, I want to call them soda wars or cola wars, but we're so far beyond that now. Yeah, um, I guess we're looking at cola overall. Coca-Cola won out. It's the bigger selling drink. Um, But both of them benefited from being in competition with each other, you know, particularly in the 60s, 70s and 80s when they were really going at each other. It created huge amounts of publicity and helped grow the market for both of them. So, you know, they were at war, but they were both benefiting from this war because it kind of kept them both in the public eye. It was, if Coca-Cola didn't have anyone to sort of kick against, um, Pepsi didn't have Coca-Cola to compete Mm -hmm. against, 
probably we wouldn't have got so excited about it and say, oh, you, you know, are you a Coke drinker? Are you a Pepsi drinker? You know, we, it wouldn't have had that excitement. So some, sometimes business wars benefit both parties. And I think that's the case with Coke and Pepsi. I mean, they've sort of moved on beyond that. And quite clearly in terms of sales, Pepsi is quite clearly behind. But, you know, Pepsi's built a very large business off the back of it that's moving into all kinds of areas. And it's interesting to think, too, as you look at the different characters who played a role in this, the different CEOs and the different marketing directors along the way, just how much things could have gone differently if these particular individuals weren't at the helm of each of each company, it seems to me. Yeah. And I think when we had a episode three and we were looking at the Second World War, if Walter Mack wasn't the guy in charge of Pepsi, maybe it wouldn't have survived. Maybe it would have gone bust during the war because it was pretty tight for, for a while for Pepsi there. So but he, he was a guy who had enough kind of bright ideas to find a way to get Pepsi syrup made in Mexico and get it over the border. Um, and thanks to that, Pepsi managed to make it through. Um, if it was someone else, maybe that wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have even know what Pepsi is today. As you were researching this cola war, were there things that you just couldn't squeeze into the narrative that it might have distracted, but you found particularly intriguing? Maybe some of the some of the loose ends that uh, didn't quite make it out of the edit booth, if you will. Yeah, um, I, I guess there's so many, but um, I, I'd say the story of Fanta would have been one that I'd love to have fitted in if there was time. Um, so essentially, um, this is in World War Two, and Coca-Cola had a fairly big presence in Germany before the outbreak of war. So war breaks out and Coca-Cola Germany's cut off from Coca-Cola USA. Um, they can't supply syrup to Germany because there's an embargo and communication kind of breaks down. So Coca-Cola Germany is kind of trapped, if you like, in sort of the Nazi regime and has no contact with the Coca-Cola parent company. And so it has to come up with a new drink and it comes up with Fanta, which um, the guy who was leading the company at the time, a guy called Max Keefe, um, called it a drink made from the leftovers of leftovers. And it was stuff like <laughs> sort of the apple pulp from cider presses and kind of, you know, elderberries that were sort of on the turn, you know, his, the kind of crud wow. that people would throw in the bin. It's like, we'll take that and we'll make that into a fruity drink. Um, and so basically that that's what kept Coca-Cola Germany alive during the war, just this sort of fanta, which it wasn't very specific what kind of fruit it was. It was really whatever they could get their hands on at the time. So it was a very kind of scrappy drink, but that sort of was a really interesting story how fanta began. Wow, I I had not heard that story, but it's it's certainly fascinating, especially when you consider, you know, how the brand is today still an important um, uh, part of the Coca Cola portfolio, and yet, if I understand you correctly, it uh, has its roots in uh, Nazi Germany. I mean, it it almost sounds like a Volkswagen style story. Yeah, absolutely, um, much the same. And so, I mean, they kept it alive, um, the Coca-Cola company in Germany with Fanta after um, Germany's defeat. Um, they went back to making Coca-Cola and Fanta was discontinued, but 
then in the mid-50s, Coca-Cola brought it back because they were starting to diversify and do other types of soda. And so sort of Fanta was resurrected then as the drink we know now. I understand, too, that during the space race uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union, there was a cola connection there as well. Yeah, so this is in 1985, so this is around the same time as New Coke was going on. Um, Coca-Cola basically contacted NASA and said, we'd like to be the first cola in space. How can we do this? So... <laughs> so you know this, this is hilarious when you when you think back on how Pepsi courted Moscow, right? And now you've got Coca-Cola trying to be the first cola in space and, and a US project too. Yeah. So so basically they they spend this fortune creating this special can that will dispense cola in zero gravity, go through all the complex approval processes to get it onto the Challenger shuttle. Um a few months before the launch, Pepsi gets wind of it and goes, well, we're not having that. We've got to be on that shuttle too. So they had strong connections with um, the Republican Party at the time. So they basically told NASA, well, we're going to cause trouble for you in Washington if you don't let us on that shuttle. So essentially they, they did that and NASA said, well, okay, you can be on there, but you've got to have a can that passes all our tests. So basically in about three months, um, Pepsi managed to make its own much scrappier version of the Coca-Cola space can and got it on the flight. So both of them ended up in space at the same time with these astronauts having to basically drink their cola in space. And Drinking cola in space is not fun. First of all, it's warm. <laughs> and, it, and then secondly, um, I don't know how many people will notice, but um, your stomach, it closes via gravity. So you have a valve that kind of keeps what's in your stomach in your stomach. Um, fizzy drinks make you burp. And in space, there's no gravity to keep that... <laughs> valve shut so um yeah burping's not nice in space and <laughs> so the astronauts were not too pleased by the cola wow where's my order where's my order where's my order break free from customer support monotony welcome to intercom for customer support the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes apps and more Intercom's Business Messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's Business Messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. Uh, it seems like an awful lot of work 
to try to get cola in space, given that I think most people have no recollection today. I, I almost wonder if these victories along the way in the cola wars are, you know, uh, so incremental. Uh, is it is it worth it? I mean, I wonder if things like the attempt to get on a space mission, you know, if it really adds up to meaningful gains for either company. Yeah, it, I mean, that that particular stunt, I, I don't think it netted them anything. I think they just cancelled each other out. Um, but I, I think for at that time, it's, soda was so big that, you know, you get 0.1% of market share. And that's tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of sales. So, you know, they were fighting over tiny slivers of market share, but those tiny slivers represented a lot of money. So there was a great big incentive then to do it. But what's happened now, and Indra Nui from PepsiCo has been very sort of open about this, is that she's come to the conclusion that, you know, what the cola war is a zero-sum game. You know, PepsiCo will spend a year fighting really hard to take a few bits of market share away from coca-cola great and then next year coca-cola will do the same and take that market share back and so it kind of reached a stalemate which is why they've probably both kind of eased back a bit at attacking each other there are so many aspects i mean so many ways that both coke and pepsi have woven themselves into the fabric of american life i mean you for instance you think about the coke bottle itself Right. It's this uniquely shaped glass bottle. Everyone knows it instantly. The minute you see it, uh, it used to be slightly green in color. These days, they don't worry about the color of the bottle so much as just the shape. Is there a story behind that bottle? Yeah, absolutely. So that bottle dates back to um, 1918. I mean, it was invented a few years before, but 1918 is when Coca-Cola adopted it fully. And back then... There, there wasn't any sort of, I suppose, how, how would I put it? I mean, there, there was no standardization in the bottles. So um, people would just buy whatever bottles and put the cola in it. <laughs> so, you know, you, you got them in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. So Coca-Cola wanted a standard bottle to help it kind of fight all its copycats. But the other factor was that in grocery stores, they didn't have refrigerators at the time. So your soda bottles would be in a bucket of water and ice. And, of course, you put that in with a paper label, the labels come off. And because you don't know which bottle's got which cola, um, you have to, it's almost potluck. <laughs> you reach in, oh, well, this will do. Hope It might be a root beer for all I know. It might not be, be a cola. So that was the thinking behind the Coca-Cola bottle, they wanted something that just through touch alone and sight would be instantly recognizable as a Coca-Cola rather than, you know, you'll have to taste it to find out. You know, in, in your book, you talk about how, um, well, you mentioned many other soda companies, not wasn't, you know, just Coke and Pepsi going way back in the day. Was there ever uh, a potential rival to Coke that was not Pepsi? I mean, somebody who could really put it over the top in a way that Pepsi ultimately did. Yeah, so Coca-Cola wasn't actually the most popular soft drink in America until the early 1920s. Um, before then, it was a drink called Moxie. Um, have you heard of Moxie? Oh, I've tasted Moxie. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever had Moxie, Tristan? O- only once. It, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it tastes like medicine. It really does. And, and it's funny that you should mention Moxie because... 
when I first tasted Moxie, and we should point out this is a regional beverage primarily, or has been, it's a, a New England-based beverage, it, t- it just, it tasted pharmaceutical, and it reminded me of the origins of Coca-Cola when I, when I first tasted it. Yeah, and it's much the same origins. So it was originally known as Moxie Nerve Food, and, and a bit like Coca-Cola and all these various nostrums from around that time. It cured pretty much anything you could think of. You know, <laughs> don't have these adverts with this gigantic list of everything from headaches to cancer to you know what whatever they could think of it apparently cured. Um, but essentially, they turned it a bit. Just like John Pemberton, they turned their medicine into a soft drink called Moxie in 1884, and it was hugely popular. It was certainly the North's leading soda, um, and it continued to outsell Coca-Cola for many years. Um, And it was a kind of strange brand because, I mean, they had a very different business model to Coca-Cola. So in the first episode, we talked about how Coca-Cola got all these independent bottling franchises to expand its reach. Moxie didn't do that. They went around building bottling plants one by one, and that meant it was quite slow to grow across the whole country, and that's essentially why Coca-Cola outdid it in the end. But for, for quite a few years, it, it was the number one soda. It's funny that you should mention Moxie because, you know, I thought you were going to say Dr. Pepper was the the cola company to beat not not so much moxie and they too were once upon a time a regional company they were based in waco i believe it was waco texas yeah that that's where they started out and and they were pretty much a regional drink all the way until the 60s um they really sort of outside texas and oklahoma and maybe louisiana um you didn't really get dr pepper it wasn't a very big thing um they basically had a breakthrough because they'd been classed as a cola for years. And that was a problem for them because most of the bottling plants in America had a deal with either Coke or Pepsi or Royal Crown. And those were exclusive contracts, so they couldn't produce any other cola. So Dr. Pepper had no way to sort of expand its distribution. So Basically, it went to the Food and Drug Administration and said, we're not cola. You've got to classify us as something else. You know, taste us. We don't taste like cola. Um, So they became classed as a pepper drink. And instantly, they could go to any bottling plant, whether it was a Coke one or Pepsi one, and go, oh, you can make this now because, you know, it's not breaching your contract. And that's essentially how Dr. Pepper sort of broke out of Texas and moved its way up to being the number four soft drink. So it was actually quite a recent kind of breakthrough for them. Huh. Do you mind if I ask you a personal question here, Tristan? Sure. Uh, Are you a Coke guy or a Pepsi guy or do you go a third way? Um, I... I kind of flip around quite a bit. So I, I guess my base drink is um, Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Um, I have to say, after writing the script for this, I've been drinking Pepsi again because I, I haven't had Pepsi for quite a while. So I've kind of gone, <laughs> gone over to Pepsi for, for a little while. But I really like Dr. Pepper. Um, my favourite drink is one called Ting, um, which is quite hard to find. It's um, a sort of grapefruit Caribbean soda, which is really nice <laughs> on a hot day. But um, yeah, I, I tend to flip around, but sort of Coca-Cola Zero Sugars tends to be the one that's usually in the fridge. Now, you're not going to believe this, but my favourite soda, and I drink maybe, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to admit how many I, I drink, so I'm not going to say, but I, I like 
tab. Have you know? You, have you ever heard of tab? Yeah, I've had tab. Wow. I, yeah, I, I remember it being sort of having a metallic aftertaste. I mean, it's been years since I've tried it. <laughs> I, I don't know if it, I'm just misremembering it. Well, it does. Ha- it does. It does have a metallic uh, aftertaste. I suppose it's a it's a Coca Cola product. But, you know, people often think of Diet Coke, and we certainly focused on that in the series. We talked about that ro- the role of Diet Coke, but Tab was a real breakthrough in a sense. It wasn't the first diet soda ever introduced, but they did so much research on Tab. Uh, see, I'm cheating a little bit here because I grew up in Atlanta, and in Atlanta, you know, Coca-Cola, oh my gosh. I mean, it was... It was like what Amazon might be to, uh, you know, Seattle or, or for that matter, Starbucks to Seattle. I mean, it, there was there's this kind of uh, it's almost like the home team or something. You know, you, you know what I mean? It's uh, anything that Coke does. It's special. You know, there's there's something about the way that we think about colas. It seems to me we really do tend to identify with these drinks. It becomes a very personal thing. Yeah, and I, I get the impression it's exactly like that in Texas with Dr Pepper and in Maine yeah. with Moxie. You know, they're they're the local soda, and you know people are kind of very proud of it there. So you know, it gets this very strong brand loyalty. Um, I'm not sure, sort of. I, I suppose because Pepsi's moved around, it's never quite had that. I'm not not sure, sort of North Carolina's, you know particularly heavy into Pepsi. I mean, it was one of Pepsi's stronger markets, but I'm not sure it sort of mm-hmm. had that same home team feel. And obviously it ended up in New York eventually, but it, I don't get the impression that New York City's kind of, oh, we're, we're all about Pepsi. Um, so I, I guess Pepsi, because it kept moving around in its early years, never quite had those roots. Tristan Donovan is an author and a journalist, and his research is the backbone of this installment of Business Wars. And listen, if you're dying for more, his book Fizz, How Soda Shook Up the World, touches on many of the other soda brands that you know and love. Tristan, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out to talk with us for Business Wars. We sure do appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to you, too, dear listener, for tuning in as Coke versus Pepsi comes to a close. We'll see you later when we kick off Southwest versus American Airlines. Fasten your seatbelts because this rivalry is sure to hit some major turbulence. New episodes of Business Wars come out every Tuesday and Thursday. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever fine podcasts are served. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or dropping a note for us at Wondery.com slash survey. And hey, if you're listening on a smartphone, you can tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. And you'll find some episode notes there, including some details that you just might have missed. You'll also find some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you haven't checked out Wondery Plus yet, head on over to Wondery.com plus. That's P-L-U-S to subscribe. You'll find extra content, early access, and exclusive perks. Business Wars is hosted by yours truly, David Brown. Our senior editor and producer is Karen Lowe. Jenny Lauer is our editor and producer. The executive producer is Marshall Louie. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. And our program was created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Hey, I'm Mike Corey 
the host of Wandery's show, Against the Odds. In our next season, I'm telling an amazing true story about American sailors who wrecked their ship off the coast of Africa in 1815. They're captured by a nomadic tribe. To escape, they will need to cross the largest hot desert in the world to reach civilization. They will battle against blistering heat, inhumane conditions, hunger, and thirst. Their heroic fight to get home will have a much greater impact than just on their own lives. It will influence a future president and change the course of American history in ways that are still felt today. This is the true story of the men who made it, and it's one that you don't want to miss. Subscribe to Against the Odds on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, The Wondery App, or wherever you're listening right now.